It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. The question for today, why is Jesus' deity necessary? I have pointed out that there are several places in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is called God, and I've given four categories of his own self-understanding which points to his deity. To complete what Scripture teaches about Christ, we must affirm not only his humanity, but also his deity. Both are essential to orthodoxy. Any supporting discussion of the Trinity, for example, will obviously offer significant evidence for the deity of Christ. While the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery, we can understand something of its truth by summarizing the teaching of Scripture in these three statements. Number one, God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father-Son relationship is analogical, describing the communal, familial relationship in the Godhead, and in particular, does not convey anything physical. Number two, each person is fully God. In particular, the Son and the Holy Spirit are fully God. Number three, there is one and only one God. This is the unequivocal stance of Scripture, emphasized in at least 18 passages in both the Old and New Testaments. Several statements say, For I am God, there is none beside me. Jehovah's Witnesses, among others, deny Jesus' deity. The Jehovah's Witnesses challenge the translation, quotes, the word was God, quotes, in John 1.1, and rather translate it as, quotes, the word was a God, end quotes. In doing so, they are implying that the word was simply a heavenly being but not divine. They justify this translation by saying the fact that the definite article, Greek ho, meaning the, does not occur before the Greek word theos, that is, God. They say theos, therefore, should be translated a god. However, their interpretation has not been advocated by any recognized Greek scholar anywhere at any time. For it is commonly known the sentence follows a well-known Greek rule of grammar. 
And the absence of the definite article merely indicates that God is the predicate rather than the subject of the sentence. The inconsistency of the Jehovah's Witnesses translation practice can be seen when in three other places in this same chapter, the word theos, verses 6, 12, and 18, has no definite article, and they do not translate it as a God in those cases, but rather as God. Like the truth of the resurrection, Christianity stands or falls on whether or not Jesus of Nazareth is fully human and fully divine. Whatever it may call itself, anything less than that may sound pious or religious and may cause chill bumps on the legs of the television media, but it is not Christianity. Why is Jesus' deity necessary? Just like the necessity of the full humanity of Jesus, it is equally necessary to insist on the full deity of Christ. I give three reasons supporting the necessity of the deity of Christ. First, to fulfill prophecy. I give several evidences supporting this first reason. Evidence one. The deity of Christ exists in seed form in the Old Testament. There are passages in the Old Testament where one person is called God or the Lord and is distinguished from another person who is also said to be God. For example, Psalms 2 verse 7 predicts the Messiah would be God. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So the Son of God would be of the same essence as God. Psalm 45, verses 5 through 7 says, Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. There are three personages here. The king, the one addressed as O God, and your God, who anoints the one called O God. The one called O God is God the Son, who is the one anointed. The one doing the anointing is God the Father. Psalm 110, verse 1. <coughs> The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The words I make and your feet refer to distinct persons and therefore to two distinct persons who are called Lord. Who is David's Lord if not God himself? And who could be saying to God, sit at my right hand, except someone else who is fully God. From a New Testament perspective, we can paraphrase this verse as follows. The Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, God the Son, sit at my right hand until I, God the Father, 
the Lord, make your, God the Son's, enemies a footstool for your feet, God the Son's feet. In Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46, where Jesus asked the Pharisees, whose son is the Christ? They said, the son of David. Then Jesus asked, how then does David call him Lord? Then Jesus quotes this verse from Psalm 110. Jesus correctly understands that David is referring to two separate persons as Lord. Isaiah 63.10 says, But the people rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned against them as an enemy, and he fought them. The Holy Spirit and he, the Lord, are distinct persons. In Bible Doctrine, page 105, Wayne Grudem says, The angel of the Lord suggests a plurality of persons in God. The word translated angel, Hebrew malach, means simply messenger. If this angel of the Lord is a messenger of the Lord, he is distinct from the Lord himself. Yet at some points, the angel of the Lord is called God or the Lord. See Genesis 16, verse 13, Exodus 3, verses 2 through 6, and chapter 23, verses 20 through 22, Numbers 22, verse 35 and with 38, and Judges 2, verses 1 to 2, 6, uh, uh, verse 11, with 14. There are other verses like Isaiah seven fourteen and chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and Zechariah twelve ten, where uh, two different people are referred to in those verses. Evidence 2. Jesus admitted to be the Messiah on at least four occasions in the Gospels, to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, to the man born blind, John 9, to the high priest Caiaphas in Matthew 26, and to Pontius Pilate in Mark 15. Evidence 3. So Jesus must be God to fulfill these prophecies. Number two reason, to manifest deity. I give several evidences supporting this second reason. One, Paul reminds us that the great mystery of godliness is God manifested in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 John tells us the word became flesh in John 1 verse 14. In John 1 verse 17 we discover that the word is Jesus. Second, there are ample indications in the Old Testament of plurality of persons in the Godhead. For instance, when recording God's words, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness in Genesis 1, verse 26. The same can be found in Genesis 3, verse 22, in 11, verse 7, and in Isaiah 6, verse 8. What do the plural verb let us and the plural pronoun our mean except plurality of persons? 
We're not told how many persons are there, but it implies there is more than one person involved. Third evidence. If Jesus is God, then he can give us knowledge about God that no other source can give us. Alexander McLaren, a famous minister and author of a prior generation, said, Plenty of men have talked about God and said noble and true and blessed things about him. It is one thing to speak about God in words, maxims, and precepts. It is another thing to show us God in act and life. The one is the work of man, the other the exclusive prerogative of God manifested in flesh. This being the case, if we want to know God, we can see him revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ as recorded in the Bible. Jesus gives us a living image of what God is like. That can be described in John 1, verse 18. Fourth evidence. From the earliest times of the history of the Christian church, Christ is represented as a person being fully divine and fully human. But a precise understanding how that could be combined together in one person was formulated only gradually in the church and did not reach the final form until a large church council was convened in the city of Chalcedon in 451 AD. The council came up with what is called the Chalcedonian definition that is taken as the standard orthodox understanding of the biblical teaching on the person of Jesus accepted by Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox branches of Christianity alike. Jesus is one person having two natures, one divine, the other human. In his incarnation, Christ became the possessor of a true humanity in union with his eternal deity. This scripture does not say that the word entered a human body or that he joined himself to man, but that he became flesh. That is, he took to himself a human nature when as the word he became man. Because of their fierce independence, people in the Western world will for the most part find the full humanity and deity of Jesus a pill too big to swallow easily. That fact eliminates all other escape routes. Yet there are two fundamental facts about reality everyone will not deny. One, there is something wrong with the world. There is evil in it. Two, there is something wrong with every one of us. We are flawed morally. We have only between two to ten seconds to decide whether or not to do something that could hone us for the rest of our lives. God has a plan to solve the brokenness of the world and humanity through what Jesus Christ can do. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique, 
only one of a kind son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Each of us is part of the whoever. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. John 3, 16 and 17. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott. Thank you.